Yeah, hey there. Hello, investor, and welcome back to another thrilling installment of the one, the only, the world-famous, internationally acclaimed Dapper Dividends podcast. I am your host, Russ, and I am coming to you from the Dapper Dividends world headquarters just outside of Chicago. And for this one, it's going to be a little bit of a special episode for you because it's tied into something infamous that happened in the Chicagoland area when I was a little itty bitty baby cheering. And it was something that's been come to be known as the Tylenol murders. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to tie it into what I've been, what I'm buying and what I am keeping on buying. You know, it's funny. One of the great things in, in my life that I'm finding out, we all have our special little talents and idiosyncrasies and picadillos and whatnot. But I think for me, it's that I can almost virtually take anything I can see, smell, touch, feel, hear, taste, and somehow related to dividend investing or the psychology of investing. So that's what we're going to do here. And then we'll wrap it all up with a pretty little bow. And I'll tell you about the dividends that I've received this week. So this goes back to when I was four and a half, almost four and a half years old on the morning of September 29th, 1982 in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, which is just down the road from me and where my current workshop is located at. 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, she woke up with a sore throat from a cold and her mom gave her extra strength Tylenol. Less than four hours later, Mary Kellerman would be pronounced dead. Then that very same day, three people are dead and another is in critical condition tonight. One of the victims took the pills he bought to his home. His brother and sister-in-law were so upset by his death that they went back to the house and took some Tylenol from the same bottle. 27-year-old mailman Adam Janice of Arlington Heights, which is the next village over, or the next town over, he woke up not feeling well, took his daughter to school, had a headache, bought a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol at Jewel, and just over four hours later, he would be dead. So Adam Janice had a 25-year-old brother named Stanley Janice, and he had married a woman named Teresa just three months earlier. So Stanley and Teresa were over at Adam's house and they were comforting his widow and they were upset, understandably so. They had headaches from the day's ordeal and since they were at his house, at Adam's house, they took Tylenol for their headaches. Stanley would be dead two and a half hours later and Teresa died in the afternoon of October 1st when they took her off life support. So all in all, seven people died within 24 hours after buying and taking Tylenol from different Chicagoland stores on and around September 29th. Now one bottle, thankfully, had been purchased by Linda Morgan, who was the wife of a judge, but she detected an off-putting bitter almond smell, so she didn't use the product. Did you know 25 to 50% of the population cannot smell cyanide, but cyanide doesn't always put off an odor? That really floored me. That's a genetic mutation that almost half of the population does not have. So thankfully, she had that and didn't take the Tylenol because it didn't smell right to her. On September 30th, 1982, remember this all started September 29th, the day before, panic spread as the news of the death sent shockwaves through the city and suburbs. Now, a nurse in Arlington Heights pieced together what happened pretty quickly 
and way before the medical examiner did. And she had a bit of a theory and told the medical examiner he didn't believe it. She went to the Janice's house and she found the Tylenol bottle and it was missing six capsules and there was three dead people times two. She said this has got to be it. Interestingly enough, a capsule... Uh, or capsule, <laughs> wherever you're from, if you don't know, it was like two pieces of, of the, the plastic material that overlapped each other and the drug would be inside. Now, when I was a kid, I had asthma, and God bless my grandma, she used to take my asthma medication because it was before they had the albuterol inhalers. So we had to take medication, like a pill, but I couldn't swallow a pill as a little kid, so she would break it open and dump it onto ice cream. Now, those are what happened here, and that was what these people took. So Tylenol, and understandably so, they recalled the products. They recalled the Tylenol, left empty store shelves. All the bottles of extra-strength capsules were removed Friday as part of the nationwide recall. Now, not only is extra-strength Tylenol off the shelves, Tylenol commercials are off the air. The race is on for Tylenol's competitors. Police were driving around the neighborhoods with their loudspeakers telling everyone, don't take the Tylenol, let everybody you know, don't take Tylenol, flush it down the drain, just get rid of it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, on October 3rd, the crimes gained national attention and it left the country kind of freaked out and wondering about who did this, who would do such a thing. That bizarre mystery of Tylenol based with cyanide still has not been solved tonight. Investigators say they are searching for, quote, a madman. That started the investigation. On October 5th, 1982, police uncovered that tainted capsules were purchased from different stores, which they hinted at as a calculated plan. On October 6th, 1982, the public trust in the consumer products was shattered. It led to widespread fear of over-the-counter medications. People were afraid to take anything. So on October 8th, 1982, the authorities discovered the cyanide was added after the purchase. That was really crazy that that happened, is that, in a nutshell, somebody or some bodies, they bought the extra-strength Tylenol, they opened them up, put in enough cyanide to kill about 12 elephants, from what I understand, and then sealed them back up and went back to these stores, or went to these stores and put the capsules... Uh, they put, not the capsules, they put the bottles with the poison pills on the shelf for somebody to buy. So what did that do to Johnson & Johnson since the tie-in here is that Johnson & Johnson owns Tylenol? Well, initially, the company's stock price took a nosedive due to the investor fears of financial and reputational fallout, and understandably so. J&J's market share collapsed from 35% to 8%. On September 27th, 1982, J&J stock price was $1.15 a share. 
and it would drop to 95 cents a share on October 5th, which doesn't seem like a blot, but you got to remember in these days, we didn't have Robinhood, we didn't have fractional trading at a moment's notice. You had to call up a broker, and it was typically in 100 share lots is how you did it. There was no buying three shares here or two shares there. It was usually in lots of 100, so it could get pretty expensive. So people didn't do a whole lot of buying and selling, and then you had broker fees on top of that. Now, Johnson & Johnson had a really, really magnificent and swift response. They were very transparent with the recall. They were out in front of it right away. They cooperated with law enforcement and they were doing what they had to do to restore confidence to the consumers and to the investors. Police are looking for disgruntled employees, angry customers, anybody with a grudge against the stores or Tylenol. Police are even checking stock transactions to see whether someone was trying to push down the value of Johnson & Johnson stock. So J&J, &J, which was the parent company of McNeil Consumer Products, they produced the Tylenol. And they had to recall 31 million bottles worth over $100 million, which is about $317 million today. They had to pause all the TV commercials and radio advertisements and newspaper advertisements. And Johnson & Johnson even considered changing the Tylenol name because they thought it might be too damaged of a brand name. Now, while Tylenol still worked effectively, the real issue, though, was that the public trust was shattered due to the packaging that allowed the poison cyanide to con... Is there any other cyanide that's not poison? So they allowed the cyanide to contaminate the medicine. Now, a mere six weeks after the crisis hit... Six weeks to the day since the Tylenol murder story broke, Johnson & Johnson held a news conference in New York to reintroduce Tylenol. Tylenol capsules. Johnson & Johnson offered a different solution a new bottle with all the kinds of things that we now come to expect and take for granted as safety, which was like the cotton wad, the foil seal, the childproof cap, and the plastic strip. And the capsules began to be replaced with caplets the following year. And as you'll know today, those are where they're all one piece. It's all one solid piece. You can't open it up and look inside and mess around. So Johnson & Johnson, they got hit pretty substantially. Their fourth quarter net income, which remember, that's your profit, that's your net, dropped 10.5%. And remember that the stock was $1.15 on September 27th and would drop to $0.95 cents on October 5th, but ultimately recovered, recovered to $1.15 on November 11th. So, of course, over time, safety measures and trust were rebuilt by Johnson & Johnson. The share price rebounded. And everybody was saying that they had the greatest comeback since Lazarus. So I think it's really interesting that while Johnson & Johnson was amazing with their response during and after the crisis, and they demonstrated that the most... The most important and critical thing a company has to its survivability and its profitability is its trust. Recent events, these are some really quick recent events, though, show that businesses have kind of tended to forget this. Wells Fargo was slow to admit their sales culture caused fake accounts. Equifax took long time to acknowledge a data breach. Good old Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg, took a while to recognize the misuse of Facebook. I think that was the whole Cambridge Analytica thing in the 2016 election. Toyota faced recalls over deaths from stuck accelerators. 
And remember when that dude was thrown off of the uh, United flight? The United Airlines apology seemed weak after that happened. And then we tie it right back to Johnson & Johnson that they too weren't all that when they concealed defective drugs and staged a phantom recall of problematic Motrin tablets. You know, that just reminds me of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway that he runs it. So Berkshire has an investment portfolio, like they invest in Apple and Chevron and even the S&P 500. But the beautiful part of their business is they buy whole businesses. And Warren always says, we would much rather buy an entire business. But when they do that, they leave the management team in place. They pretty much let it run autonomously. And the one thing that Warren has said over and over to them is, if there's any problems, you let us know right away and let us know immediately so we can get out in front of it. We can do damage control. We can correct it before it snowballs into something that could potentially sink the big Berkshire brand. And actually, this even reminds me of something that uh, when I was in the Navy, they taught us. They said, if you screw something up, you come and tell us right away. You tell your chain of command immediately, whatever it was, because it could snowball. It could metastasize into something that's really bad. And not just on top of it, it's a character thing. It's a moral issue. If you make a mistake and you try to cover it up and hope nobody notices, it's going to be okay unless somebody notices. And when they notice... It's going to look so much worse. It'll look a million times worse than saying, hey, I made a mistake. I screwed this thing up. Here's what happened. What do we do now? But if you screwed something up and you swept it under the rug, then people are going to say, yeah, Russ, he screwed something up. He hit it. And now we find out about it late. Now you look deceitful. And that's a moral flaw. That's a character flaw to look deceitful. So kind of a cool thing to tell your kids if you do have them is to just tell us right away because it's going to look so much worse on you and your reputation if we find it out later. So from what J&J went through, I mean, that just really tells me about you have to maintain consumer confidence and trust if you're a business, whatever sector you're in. It's, it's non-negotiable. It's a must. And I would love, I'd love, 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 love for you to email me and let me know when a company lost your trust either as an investor or a consumer, and you can do that, russ at dapperdividends.com, <laughs> dapperdividends.com. So what happened? What was the outcome of this whole case? Well, they remained unsolved. To this day, they remain unsolved. As of this recording, next month will be 41 years since the Chicago Tylenol murders happened. J&J &J dealt with it masterfully, and I like to think that no matter what happens, no matter how horrific, there's always something good that can be found if you look hard enough. If you really, really look, you can find some good in it. And for me, I think because, if you remember, Stanley and Teresa Janis went to brother Adam's house to console the wife. They unfortunately lost their lives, but because they used the same bottle that he does, he did, it was quickly established that there was a link there to that Tylenol. And then the nurse did some digging in the garbage and found that the Tylenol was bought that very morning. So word got out pretty quickly. And you got to think if it was just 
one person, one person, what it would have, it could have taken days and more people would have taken it. So unfortunately, uh, Stanley and Teresa lost their lives the same day that the brother did, but they potentially saved dozens of more lives from the chaos that whoever did this created. And then also, for us nowadays, we're still seeing it. The consumer packaging protections that came from that. We may have had a lot more shenanigans with unfortunate results if that didn't happen. And we're just always reminded that there are black swans lurking everywhere. There may be even a black swan behind you right now as I... <laughs> I thought there was that was creepy, man. I creeped myself out. Thought there was a black swan behind me. Don't pet those black swans or feed them. But you know, it it kind of is that that just stark reminder, like my wife getting conked on the head with the tree branch. That if it can happen any day, it can happen today. Take that away. That the possible is possible every day. And I also like to think that corporations. Now, I know there was Citizens United, you know, it said that corporations are not living, breathing entities, but I disagree in the fact that they are run by living, breathing entities. So in that regard, any living, breathing entity, any organism's first order of business, lest it be suicidal, right, is survival. And all organisms end up with a little bit different survival instincts and techniques and they evolve and us as investors we have different instincts instincts and investing evolutions right that can happen over days weeks years some people decades it takes to get it right but one instinctual thing that i think was really really interesting i don't remember if it was either peter lynch or Joel Greenblatt, but I had heard them on an interview and they talked about buying Johnson & Johnson in the wake of the Tylenol murders when things were still murky, people didn't really know what happened, was it somebody that had, you know, a death wish, was it somebody that had something, some retribution against the company, did this come from the factory, How? what was the depth and breadth of this uh, horrible, horrible situation? But they imagined from their evolution and their instincts that this would correct itself, that things would turn, the clouds would part, and one day things would be made right once again. And it just goes to say that sometimes, as I've heard other investors say, some of the best buys they make are when they're really nervous about something and really thinking like, oh man, I don't know, I hope. I hope this is going to work out. I, I kind of got a good feeling, but maybe it's indigestion. Maybe it's, I don't know, but, and then they work out, work out great. But some of the worst situations and investments are when you're really overconfident. When you buy something, you're like, this is a slam dunk. This can't go wrong. You know, this is just money in the bag. Easy. So you got to ask yourself, can you see the headwinds ending? And if you can, it could be a good time to buy. But that tells us that, that might not be in the data. That could be a little bit of story that you're not going to find in the numbers. So sometimes it's in the numbers, sometimes it's not. I was listening to the Barron's Live podcast and I heard the founder of Data Trek Research, Nick Colas, say something really interesting about the investor Steve Cohen, who said that math is not an edge. 
I love this because I'm somebody that's terrible in math. So to hear somebody saying math is not an edge, beautiful. He said, if you can work it out on a calculator, it is not the core of the investment story because anybody can work that out on the calculator. You have to go find the story behind the numbers. And he's not so worried much about things like forward price to earnings ratios as he is around the positive or negative catalyst around that number. Because when you have a positive catalyst, PEs usually don't go down, the price to earnings. So this is kind of why I'm still buying Target. Although it's not a positive catalyst, it's a pretty negative catalyst because of the whole shrink, retail theft and all that. But I think Target is a bit cyclical and we're just going through one of the down cycles. On January 31st, 2020, Target, ticker TGT, was $110.00. It then shot up to $263 on, Octo- on August 16th, 2021. It had a 140% gain in 19 months for a retailer. That's crazy. It was too much, too quick, too fast. I felt that it was too expensive and I didn't buy it. I stayed away. And it kind of reminds me also of Peloton and Zoom. Remember those? So Zoom was $74 in January 2020, shot up to $568 in October 2020. Nine months, people. 668% gain. And now it's back down to 65 bucks, very close to where it was before the whole roller coaster ride started. Or even Peloton. January of 2020, it was $30 a share. Shot up to 167 bucks in January 2021. So in one year, Peloton gained 457%. And as of this recording, a little bit of uh, bad earnings, they're down around $5.5 per share to go from 167 in January 2021. Crazy. So, you know, with Target, I think the teens, the mid-teens, uh, the mid-100 teens, I don't know how to say that, to about $150 is going to be the, the right range for Target going forward. You know, they had a lot of boost with the whole everyone at home with the uh, pickup, the drive up, the curbside pickup. That really boosted their sales. And it was just a good time for Target. But now it's just all things reverting to the mean if there is such a thing as that. And I think they're blaming some of their weaker numbers on shrink. You know, maybe from Amazon, the e-tailers, e-commerce, cutting into that. You know, it's funny. I was actually listening to the Motley Fool Money podcast. And they had a fun thought on there thinking about shrink. Is that shrink is where you have theft whether it's organized theft, employee theft, you have you would have food damage, s- companies buying stuff that people didn't want, uh, and they have overstock of it, and they got to write it, get rid of it, damaged goods, whatever it may be, that is shrink. So not all shrink is theft, but all theft is shrink, which is a bit of a fun thought. Just like 75% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a Target store. They're on all 50, in all 50 states, the District of Columbia. They have over 45 of their own brands like Up and Up, Market Pantry, Boots and Barkley, and Cat and Jack. So Target currently has a dividend yield of 3.57%, right around 123 bucks a share. They've had some really nice dividend growth, 15% 20-year CAGR, compound annual growth rate. 
10% five-year CAGR, but obviously they're dealing with some pretty multifaceted headwinds here. So only a 1.9% increase in June of 2023. But hey, they're a dividend king, 51 years of growth. And if you don't know, dividend king means it's just a term that's given to a company that's a member of the S&P 500. And they've raised their dividend every single year for 50 consecutive years. So Target has 51 years under their belt. And yeah, they've taken a pretty good hit to their free cash. So I love looking at the free cash flow payout ratio to pay that dividend, to support the dividend, to cover the dividend. It's at 122% the last 12 months, but analysts think it's going to drop down to 57%. But that free cash flow payout ratio has always been in the mid 30s to high 40% range. So I think that it's going to go back there. But hey, they're still buying back shares. They had 642 million shares outstanding in 2014. And they're at 463 right now. But their debt is a little bit high, so I always want to see that debt starting to come back. And you know, this is why a lot of businesses we're seeing that have a lot of debt are kind of getting hit as the rates keep going up. Because eventually, it's going to make that debt more expensive for them to service, to at least pay the interest on that debt. So more of their earnings, more of their profit, their net income is going to be going toward the debt and not toward the business or toward shareholders. So I think that's why businesses like Leggett and Platt, AT&T, Verizon, some of these really, really highly leveraged businesses that the market is really, really sticking it to them. And I like alphaspread.com just to get a rough gauge of an intrinsic value. Remember, these are just ranges. It's not for certain. It's kind of like, you know, you need somebody needs to lose weight and you don't know exactly what they weigh, but, you know, they need to lose weight. $171.40 on the base case for Target and the worst case, $119. So it's pretty much right around the worst case current intrinsic value that Alpha Spread is bestowing upon Target, of which I did buy one more share at $122.95. We now have 42 shares of Target at $141.14. I'm going to be like Forrest Gump, I think. Just keep buying Mr. Gump. I'm going to keep buying those shares of Target till I get tired. Why did Forrest Gump stop running the race? Or running? Do you remember? He was running, running, running. He was just running. I'm tired. I'm going to go home. What are we supposed to do? He just left. I think I'll just be like Forrest. I'll just keep buying Target until I'm tired of buying Target. And uh, we'll see where that goes. Oh, I also did buy, not a lot of buying this week. I bought one more share of Nextstar Media at $156.50. I now have 61 shares of Nextstar at $166.07 average cost. As always, you can click the link to go to dapperdividends.com forward slash my dash portfolio uh, to check out the portfolios we got. We share those on the dividendtracker.com. Yeah, I really like Nexstar. I think they are not very well understood. The market's missing it. And, you know, I I could spend the next 10 minutes talking about that. I'm not going to do it. But one fun thought that I'll leave you with, if you want to look into Nexstar Media, ticker NXST, see what you can dig up on it, is that, man, I used to be more... I was raised Republican, and then I shifted Libertarian, and now I'm just me. I'm a political alien. I have no side. But I will say, as an investor, I can't wait for the presidential election because that's going to be lots of money for Nexstar Media as these all the political races, uh, they beat each other bloody with ads. 
hey, they're paying money to get those ads on. So next year, Next Star Media should see a very nice spike. And then they use that money from the political ads, from the campaigns to invest in the business, grow the business, and return more capital to shareholders, of which they just did this last uh, this year so far, no, it was last quarter, uh, they've returned $11.70 to shareholders via dividends and share buybacks. That is just really, really strong. I think it's so far this year. That's a lot for a quarter. Anyway, that's coming off the top of my head, people. What did I receive in dividends this week? Well, I'm so happy you asked because Energy Transfer, ticker ET, paid us $9.61. Good old Nexstar Media, ticker NXST, paid us $78.30. So rolled that right back into another share of Nexstar Media. And $12.72 from Starbucks, ticker S-Bucks, for a total of $100.63 in dividends this week. And I love that you stopped by the channel to listen to me once again. This one was a little bit different, a little bit darker. And yes, somehow I tied in the Tylenol murders with buying more Target. Maybe it's a gift from God. Maybe I'm just slightly delusional from all the heat that we're having here in Chicago. I don't know. But I really do love that you listen to this show. And if you would like, be so kind as to pop on over to X. Not the band, not the punk band, the seminal punk band from the 80s, X and late 70s. No, but... Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, uh, at RustyRam78 is my handle there. You can slide into my DMs or just say hello to me in the main chat room or whatever it is. Do you guys remember chat rooms? That was back in the day. Good old Yahoo. I don't know. How, I don't remember how the Yahoo sing song slogan went. Either way, if you're on that dusty mountain trail. Listening to me and your earbuds, I do thank you that you brought me along for the ride, <laughs> for the hike, for the ride, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're zip lining. I don't know. Maybe you're doing dishes. Whatever you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. Do it well. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. I will be back here once again to rap at you and talk with you. And I'll be in Peoria, Illinois this week, working, leaving tomorrow. Going to be at Irish Fest. If anybody of you is down in Peoria at Irish Fest, maybe pop on my Twitter and say you're, you're there and we can uh, we can say hello. And if not, I'm going to say goodbye, but I will be saying hello to you again next week. Thank you so very much. Uh, again, leave a note uh, for me. Email me. I'd be curious to hear because this was a little bit of a different episode, a little bit more notes that I did on this one for you, for your listening pleasure thank you so much for stopping by i love you even though i don't know you and i will see you in the next podcast episode so long everybody